Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Another hammer has dropped on the Canadian vaping industry. The federal government has announced it is moving to restrict nicotine levels to a maximum concentration of 20 milligrams per milliliter for vaping products manufactured, imported, or packaged for sale in Canada. For many Canadian vapors, the proposed new limit would slash by half, for some, the amount of nicotine they consume when vaping. And by Health Canada's own projections, it could actually lead to some adult vapors returning to smoking. Joining us today is Daryl Tempest, the executive director of the Canadian Vaping Association. Daryl, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Brent. And uh, again, I'd like to thank your viewers and the sponsors of uh, uh, this episode to help dig into these important issues. Oh, well, thank you. And I have a ton of thanks for our supporters too as well. We're doing a little bit of a thank you to our brand supporters from Canada a little bit later in the broadcast. So we're going to say thanks to all of them not just the ones that have helped make this show possible, because really, as you know, everybody in this industry has to pull together as a group to make this kind of stuff happen. And it's very hard otherwise to kind of survive the onslaught. Absolutely. And I think understanding uh, the policy and the things that we can do to take action is, uh, is really critical in terms of, uh, of messaging and ensuring that government understands of the importance of uh, of this industry for those who have chosen far less harmful alternative to smoking. Yeah, no doubt. So Health Canada has just dropped and the government of Canada have just dropped in Gazette Part 1, which just came out on Saturday, uh, Friday really, but on Saturday. Um, so explain to our viewers what this nicotine concentration cap is and what the impact you believe it might have. Well, I mean, they were quite uh, clear in the uh, the consultation period in terms of what they're looking at and what they're looking for. What they're looking for is to understand the impacts and their understanding. That's what, why you would see a lot of the information that they feel that they understand and they're looking for us as stakeholders to confirm or to push back against their understanding of what these impacts could be. So... Walk us through how we got here. We've covered this. You, you've been on our show many times in discussing all the different regulations that the government is trying to put in. And then also, too, as well, the provincial governments, they've come in in with quite a few bit of draconian regulations. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But when we're talking yeah. about the government of Canada, we're talking about the federal government that actually passed legislation that made vaping legal in Canada. Yet now, just a short two years later, it, it seems a little bit iffy on the future of vaping. Yeah, and it's important to understand where the 66 milligrams came from originally, uh, and that's at uh, the poison level, essentially, if, uh, if you were to ingest. So that's why they had picked that level. Um, you got to remember the world looked a lot different when we came through Rest5. Uh, the distribution channels were a lot tighter. Really, it was to specialty vape shops. Um, uh, nicotine concentrations uh, were traditionally 3, 6, and 12. Uh, I, I would imagine that this is the industry that they thought that they were legislating, as opposed to um, what happened through 2018 and really into 2007 or late in 2017 in the United States, where you had a large distribution channel open through convenience stores. 
with products, and this isn't a shot on convenience stores, it's just, I think, the reality of, of how they can move. So when Health Canada looked at it from the first perspective, they would have looked at what this cottage industry sort of looked like and what they were legislating. When it opened up, it really grew. And instead of us talking about harm reduction, which you will find nowhere in this review, uh, in this Gazette One, any conversation about uh, uh, the reduce, uh, the harm reduction opportunity that we face and what that looks like in relation to nicotine concentrations, it's the PR mess that was created by media's sensation on a valley and false reporting on uh, youth uptake. And it's the, the youth is the real issue here. I mean, that obviously clearly is the case when it comes to all the PR messaging, when it comes to the nonprofit health groups and their push, and then the government themselves. You know, this is, is to, it's expected to contribute to reducing the appeal of these products to youth, which would help address the rapid rise in youth vaping. So we're in 2020, at the very end of 2020, um, the whole epidemic of youth vaping, so-called, broke out starting first in the U.S. in the late summer of 2018, and it was in September of 2018 when uh, the FDA, then FDA Commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, you know, raised the alarm and said there was an epidemic of teen vaping that posed a clear and present danger to our youth. And then that quickly, you know, migrated up to Canada or was imported into Canada, so some, some people like to say. And so here we are two years later, and it appears that the Canadian government is still using data from 2018 and early 2019 uh, to back up uh, the fact that there is an epidemic of teen vaping. Yet the, the government of Canada's own numbers that came out in March of 2020 of this year shows a 5% drop. So there's, there's quite a bit of difference between the numbers from then and the numbers from now. And you'd certainly imagine that some of the other efforts that have gone into play in terms of advertising, point of sale advertising, and so forth, would also be having a difference. So is this a, is this a lot that the Canadian government is trying to make happen here with this nicotine cap, which for a lot of vapors, it will mean a reduction. Um, forced nicotine withdrawal is what I put it. Uh, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at the consultation itself, they recognize the fact that this could through this policy shift, uh, push more people back to smoking. Um, I mean, the other thing that we would like to, uh, and it'll certainly be part of our submissions, that it also gets people to vape more. So if you decide not to return to smoking, you're also going to increase your level of vape. So again, and we did an episode about broken policy. That was our last time to I think if you look at this, it's not a complete design of what is a workable policy as it relates to harm reduction and youth experimentation, because that's really what we're talking about. But vaping represents, without question, the greatest harm reduction opportunity in volume in our nation's history. And it's not recognized whether I talk to the federal government, whether we're talking with provincial governments, it is solely focused on youth uptake. 
it's almost as if uh, adult smokers are being completely left behind. Right? If we're going to come up with concrete policies, we also have to understand that, you know, um, it was way easier when I was young to get a hold of cannabis than it was to alcohol because it was in a regulated environment. I had to get a cousin or an uncle or, or you know, someone that could access those products. So in this case, we're trying to ensure that a product that is far more valuable to Canadian society than recreational cannabis, we're not talking about medical cannabis, we're talking about recreational cannabis, or alcohol, and it is being restricted far more. There's flavors in alcohol, there's flavors in cannabis, and if you look at the federal, or the, um, not yet, the federal government through Health Canada, they're onboarding flavored cannabis, but it's hacking nicotine replacement therapy through the most effective platform, which is vaping. Well, I didn't know that they were bringing in flavors uh, anytime soon on cannabis. Maybe just elaborate on that for us a bit. Yes. Yeah, so as as you as you walk forward through um, uh, the plans for flavored cannabis, you can buy flavored cannabis today. So the question is, that's a recreational mall. I mean, I have to ask the same question to you, Brent, is does it make sense to take a, a designed recreational product? Because remember, medical is a completely different platform, right? right? It's, and it's, medical is, is ran by the feds. If we look at this and say, we can go down this platform with flavored alcohol, there's no outcry, right? Who drinks scotch anymore? Old guys. What's the, the most um, popular types of drinks now? It's um, coolers and, and, and sugary type of, uh, of alcohol that's uh, attractive to you. Where is the outcry? So we're looking at, when we talk about nicotine concentrations, to, um, through our kind of view of it, is that they're trying to go back to the industry that they thought they were regulating, right? Now, what we can't do is ignore some of the data, and we can't ignore the fact that youth are experimenting. Youth will always experiment, regardless of the platform, right? It's part of human nature. It's been around forever. But there's no correlation between how we're attaching public policy to youth experimentation and harm reduction. That's our concern within these regs. If you want to attach the data, you and I have talked about this before on your show. You know, we need to follow the science and we need to follow the data. We say that all the time as an industry. One of the points that we have to recognize is that youth rates in the United States went up a great deal as compared to the UK. We don't have um, a reflection point at 40 milligrams or 35 milligrams. Well, one of the things that we definitely need to call on the government to do 
is through this process, start building our own data in order to give our citizens the best opportunity to reduce their harm for what is still the leading killer. And it's not that anyone's not noticing, right? We talk about it all the time. And Brent, you see our press releases and, and our communication, media doesn't want to pick up on it. Government hasn't talked about it. And they certainly haven't got back to us about it on anything as it relates to harm reduction. And the harm reduction, the, the, the lack of harm reduction uh, in the government's communications, I mean, is just glaring. And to read, uh, there's what, 47 pages or so with these new proposed regulations. And this is just on nicotine. I mean, the amount of ink that's been spilt on uh, this issue over the, over the last years is immense. And when you're going through this document, it, it's harsh because they actually equate on the same line smoking and vaping mortality, smoking and vaping morbidity, like that there's no difference between the two. I mean, they, may, they pay some lip service within this document um, that vaping is less hazardous than smoking, but, but very few and far between do they make that point. And when they do, it's kind of just lost in the shuffle. What you do get is an understanding that vaping products, nicotine vaping products, are so dangerous that uh, the government must come in and, and take these measures. So it seems almost that we haven't, we haven't been able to crack through. I'm not ready to jump to that conclusion yet, right? What I would say is this. The government certainly won't have an understanding of what the long-term impacts of vaping are. I think as an industry, we have to absolutely kind of come to that conclusion because we don't know. What we know is it's far less harmful than smoking. We know what the end game is when, you, when you're a long-term smoker. You end up dying. That's the conclusion that we have to get to. I'm not uncomfortable with government saying, you know what, we just don't know yet. When it comes to um, specifically talking about the long-term health outcomes of vaping. What is important here, and what hasn't been recognized, is that the science on the harm reduction is not being recognized. Mm -hmm. I think what this document is about, and what they need to hear from vapors, is that adult access is important when you're talking about a Schedule A drug, which nicotine is, that high levels of concentration need to be um, prescribed by someone with a lot of knowledge and education. I'm not saying that vape shop owners are clinicians or um, are harm reduction experts by education, but they built this industry in so many ways. And then technology and advances came, and but it came so fast. So the world changed on policymakers in a moment. And the public pressure on them is, it, it's easier to talk about youth reduction than it is to talk about the fact that you're gonna regulate out the best options to address the country's largest kill. 
Well, and that's true. I mean, there's no doubt. I was just telling uh, somebody the other day about our early coverage when we first had John Britton on, um, Professor John Britton, who was the chair of the Royal College of Physicians UK and their whole program on tobacco control and harm reduction. And they came out in 2016, spring of 2016 with, uh, what is it? Um, Nicotine Without Smoke, which is the name of the report. And it was highly uh, praiseful of vaping as a tool for harm reduction. And one of the things that he said, and then Clive Bates later that spring said to us and, you know, Dr. Farsalinos and, and subsequently in numerous interviews back then, this is pre-Juul, pre-Nick Salts, pre this higher nicotine concentration, was that there needs to be innovation in the nicotine uh, to be able to get more of it to the brain faster, you know, and so they were recognizing that with the old system, it wasn't quite yet technologically tweaked enough to be able to adequately uh, vaping to be used uh, by a really heavy smoker and for them to get it and to make that switch and how important it is to get a smoker who's trying vaping for the first time to really have it to be a fulfilling delivery of nicotine as quick as possible and as close to a, a resemblance of using a cigarette as you possibly can because that's where the most success is. And for two years straight, we had, you know, people on our show, eminent doctors and researchers who know best making that argument. And then, of course, you know, the development of nicotine salts came around and then the jewel and then and the ubiquity at sea stores. So all of the things that have caused the problems are actually the things many in harm reduction were saying were needed in order to get over the hump and to get, you know, tens of more millions of smokers off smoking. And it just, it's not an, it's sad. It's not an irony. It's tragic. I think when public policy uh, works best is when it comes together with balance. Hmm. Balance is important. If you uh, are going to see within a short period of time, our submission to health can and our submission is going to be based around the fact that Ontario got the best balance. We think Ontario has the best regulations uh, in North America. So it's an opportunity for a smoker to uh, have a product where they're at the point of purchase for a tobacco product. But when they start to explore and learn more and address their nicotine needs, that they can get those products in an environment where they can be profiled. And we're absolutely looking at um, the education levels that are available within a vape shop and product uh, variety and high nicotine. This was always meant to be a step down product. I started at a 20, worked my way down to a uh, 12, and then worked my way down to a three. That's how it worked for me, and that's how I need to work for so many of us. And many of the entrepreneurs um, that created this industry don't even vape anymore. That's a success story. That's what government needs to understand, is that unlike combustible tobacco, our mission isn't to keep people vaping forever. Our mission was we found a gift in vaping and we wanted to give it to our friends 
and our neighbors and our community, because smoking kills. And if you, you know, I, I've lost a family member last year to, uh, uh, to lung cancer uh, for, uh, uh, and smoked forever. How many others have that exact same story, right? That's the part that we're missing. Kids are going to experiment, but this is, and I love the title of your uh, episode, uh, The Great Reset, is that there's a sense here that rather than completely moving forward, the policy designs that we can measure, get data from, it's like the UK's the way we should go, right? Well, and yet, it, sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, all my closing statement was, is that the UK also supports vaping to reduce the harm of their citizens. So if we're going to say the UK model is the model, then we need to completely adopt all the communication and 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 support for harm reduction that's available through the UK. So, okay, on the nicotine thing, because I mean, it's bothered me a bit because I only wish that vaping nicotine had the same legitimacy as smoking pot. I mean, it's a crazy world that we live in. I grew up in this country, right? I mean, I've been covering news for 30 years and to even just be in a position where things are so upside down, where the establishment is saying, oh no, it's, uh, it, it is completely unacceptable for people to be uh, substituting smoking with uh, a vaping product that is, you know, the government says in here, it's interesting, the government uh, provides a formula, but you kind of have to backtrack it out a little bit. But Health Canada says in this document that vaping is 80% less harmful than smoking. Now, they you've got to read how they do that, but it is. It's true. It's 80% less harmful. And I'm like, oh, they're getting there. You know, another 15% and they'll be right with uh, Public Health England. But, you know, so it's not like they don't know that it's better for you, but it's like maybe potentially it's like what you're saying is that there's so much political heat around this issue that the government's looking for an out. And the out that they clearly are doing is they're asking for a great vaping reset. They're saying, okay, we didn't have these problems in 2018 uh, before Nick Saltz and Jewel entered the marketplace. So let's kind of reset back to that and and see then if uh, vaping can, you know, be a responsible industry, I guess, is the only thing that I can see with that. But it does track with what our viewers have said over the last two years, many have been frustrated and upset with what happened to the industry with the result of the introduction of, of Nixalts. And I know a lot of them have said, let's just go back to the way it was. I mean, so what's your thoughts on that? Is there, and let me put it to your question, what's your thoughts on that? And, you know, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, is this, is this in lieu of some other worse action that could be taken? So I, I can answer both of those. Um, the one thing we do know is the market did change in 2018. That's undeniable, right? How do we fix that is very much up for debate because prohibition doesn't really work, right? That's why, again, we'll go on the Ontario model is that you have access to the products that adults require and only adults can get in and adults should only be buying vaping products anyways, 
So having available at the point of access for cigarettes at a lower nicotine concentration also makes sense to make sure that there's a delivery point and entry point. There's not as many uh, uh, vape shops as there are convenience stores. We know those two things. As we roll through and answer your sort of your, your second question in terms of the great reset, when I look at it, I absolutely think that uh, you are correct, that there is a, um, an understanding out there that high nicotine concentrations lead to youth addiction. Whether we agree or not, because we certainly don't feel that the problem is as nearly as big as media spins it to, I think government has a massive PR problem. And they're trying to address that public relations nightmare. And frankly, so is the industry. Because between a valley and youth update, the industry has been under attack for two years. We need to get back to the conversations that we're having prior to, uh, especially uh, September of, uh, of 18, where we had, and you'll remember Brent, um, relative risk statements on the table. The relative risk statements, what happened to them? Oh, Health Canada has been very public about this. They're still considering them, but that's it. That's it. <laughs> they, they haven't said that, well, they haven't said that they've taken them off the table, but that's, you know that I spend a great deal of my time not only talking to the federal government, but to almost every provincial government across the country. Sure. Not once talked about harm reduction. Not one. It's youth, youth, youth. That's in their media, right? That's what they get hit with. Smokers made their choice. So as opposed to dealing with harm reduction, they're going to deal with what's in front of them. But they're not talking about all of the risk factors that youth take on, sex, alcohol, drugs, vaping, smoking, because this has been such a hot topic for two years, it's been laser focused. That's what we're, uh, that's the big risk that the industry has, right? Then right. If, if you look at the big players and you know, you brought up Jewel, if you look at the markets where they're capped at 20, high nicotine delivery devices tend to exit the market. Right. So, and, I mean, you, fair enough. I mean, totally. Look, I mean, in the end, you know, I, it, it feels a little bit like I think responsible adults kind of get to some point and they go, OK, you know, I, I can't really even justify, you know, screaming too loudly about this nicotine thing because it is a drug. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very addictive drug. So got it. But the way that it feels like and tell me if this rings true, but you're a Canadian, you're an adult. And uh, you like your rye whiskey, you like your vodka, you like your gin, just like every other adult. We have access to it. It's available everywhere. Uh, but all of a sudden, the government moves to cut out all hard liquor because teenagers get into the liquor cabinet, you know, down at the end of the hall. Well, wait a minute, you know, 
Okay, so the parents that are letting their kids get at the liquor cabinet or for the adults that are going and buying liquor for their kids, you know, for people, for young people that they know, I mean, that's the real problem. It's not the liquor cabinet um, that's in your house. So that's that's ultimately my issue. I am more concerned about what's next. What, you know, as you allow the media to drive policy, the hysteria that that the media drives, that the nonprofit health groups do. And you know my position. I believe a lot of the COVID stuff is built off of tobacco control. I mean, it's, it's a bit crazy. I won't get into it right now. But the fact of the matter is, is the hysteria, the, the lack of, uh, you know, application of proper evidence and science and then, you know, public health, you know, just losing it. I just, you know, what's next? I mean, it you, there's going to be nothing that is going to be safe from from this purview. Policy and regulators will always try to adjust, right, to whatever's happening in the in the time. Um, I think where your point and where you're going is what well, we need health Canada to understand, and it's slightly different. So if you look at alcohol, let's assume you're an alcoholic. So if you remove that high amount of alcohol from society, you'll kill someone, right? Like it's uh, alcohol uh, reduction is one of the hardest things um, that a person can go through. As it relates to vaping, if you dial down the concentrations, all you're inspiring is more vaping in order to get to your nicotine. I think that's an important point as we go through this with Health Canada is to say the one thing that you want is to reduce vaping and have a step down platform. And this could in theory make people vape more. Yeah. You know, where my feeling on this one is, is that when I went on, and Brent, you'll know this, uh, the president of the CDA and myself went on a national tour. We did that in 2008. We asked this question of hundreds of entrepreneurs that we got to meet in every province. It's every province, uh, most of the capitals. Um, and we asked people prior to 2017, who sold concentrations over 20? I had one person say I did a special mix in 2017 for a uh, for a client. Right. And, that's, so question, and that's different now, isn't it? Because now a good percentage use over 20. Yes. And so that it has changed the marketplace. It's changed the nicotine concentrations. It's where Health Canada has got this wrong and where they underestimated is they said that the impact on the market was going to be 400 and some million dollars over 30 years. We estimate that there's anywhere from 900,000 to 1.1 million vapors in Canada today. We also uh, estimate that at least 40 to not 50% of that market, just based on um, the market leaders and the access points through um, convenience stores, that if they represent 40% of the market, that's $400 million a year. Not in third. So 
from that perspective, there will be an impact on the market, but it won't be over 30 years. Our no. challenge is we don't have consolidated data. Yeah, I mean, the, the impact, oh, just one second here. I lost a little bit of my audio. Can you hear me okay still? Very great. Excellent. So the impact is definitely going to be different than what they say. And what's interesting is that the costs to the vaping industry in terms of profit loss that Health Canada is saying is, is, going, to, is going to be the case is also very interesting. So when they look at the number of vapors that they believe who will not transition from high nicotine use down to uh, 20 milligrams or less, they believe that 25% will not make that transition. And the assumption then is that they'll go back to smoking. And that's, that's a lot of vapors that could go back to smoking. And the cost to the health system and obviously to their lives and, and so forth is not being accounted for um, in this regulation. It's not being accounted for in, uh, from the lack of any engagement for harm reduction. How can we assume it's being considered at all? Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if it's being having any weight on the submissions that we as an industry need, need to make, because at no point do they say it has value. Right? If, if, you're, if you're grading a test, you tell everyone what you want them to or what the test subject is going to be in this particular test. I haven't seen any weight given to harm reduction. And I think that is the most important message that we as an industry have to continue to share with Health Canada, because if we're gonna look at new products, innovation, if we're gonna come in with caps, um, uh, which again, you know, we, sh we believe, so there's three types of uh, caps right now in, in Canada. Right? Ontario has a cap and they have an exception. BC has a cap with no exception. Newfoundland ha or uh, Nova Scotia has a cap with no exception. Right? So there's a way to get what the pathway that you're looking for is saying, yes, I'm going to cap nicotine, but I gotta give adults an opportunity to reduce our harm and understand the relative risk. So how do we do that with cannabis? How do we do that with alcohol? Just put in age restriction, right? There needs to be a place where a distribution system for someone who's in, not everyone lives in downtown Toronto, right? So you need access points. But the government has then further taken a step on age gating to ensure that that's not even an option because it's uh, so economically prohibitive. So we're, we're, we're getting stuck in this circle where government is saying, I want it age gated everywhere. That's what they did with, uh, with marketing, right? They showed us the pathway. They said, the pathway is we want to keep this out of the view of any child. We agree with that, right? You don't see marketing, uh, mass marketing for 
uh, for cannabis, uh, you still do for alcohol, uh, but you definitely don't see that for tobacco. Um, but then on the other side, what they said was, we're going to have an unlevel or uneven level of rules for vaping over cannabis and tobacco. So what I mean by that is that they want any consumer to age gate at the point of entry, not at the point of checkout or not at the point of delivery. So it's at the point of entry. Why is that a challenge? Because the government put out in the regulations that you could get this done for 20 to $50 a month all in. We have been researching this for eight months and the cheapest price that we can find is a dollar for every time someone gets on your site. So you have 300,000 visitors, that's $300,000. So if they implement uh, that, I mean, we're talking about a real issue here, aren't we? That could shut down online sales. It would shut down online sales, 100%. So and if you take the CRC, right, requirements, so they const- we're constricting the amount of products that are available. Could you explain for our audience what the CRC is? Uh, it's uh, child-resistant tanks. So we went through this process during uh, COVID. So you have to get a certain amount of uh, children under the age of five and a certain amount of adults over the age of 65 in order to test the product to see if they can open it. So that CRC requirement says that you have to have the certification to sell the product. Pardon me, man. So where we're getting squeezed here is that we understand the point that they want this only available to adults, but are also putting vaping and only vaping under extreme amount of conditions, including the fact that right now under CRC, we probably only have about 35 products. We hope to have 55 by March, but many of the products that people have out there, they're not going to have availability to uh, replacement coils, parts, anything like that, unless um, these uh, um, we get further extensions on the products that have already been sold. On the online though, and I think this is, this one is, is really big, man. No one can afford it. It is the death blow of online sales. In a time when I mean, and I never thought I'd love to see this, but Christmas has been canceled. So where are people going? And this is an addictive product. So what's the next step? What's the one thing that you can get? Go back to smoke. So go ahead. No, no, no. I I was just, you know, I had to anguish on my face agreeing with you on that. <laughs> so what we're hoping to see is that um, uh, um, Health Canada has acknowledged they've received both of our uh, requests um, and we made those available uh, within the industry. Uh, we shared exactly both those requests and we wait. So they've acknowledged it and they said that they're preparing a response, have not indicated yet what that response would be. So with the child resistant uh, 
devices that's needed out there. So it's, I mean, we're talking an industry here that's used to a lot of turnover for devices and a lot of options. So we've got, you know, a, a, con a constriction of devices. We have definitely what will be an impact when it comes to um, nicotine and juice in your e-juice. And then, and that that's a pressure. I got to tell you, that's a pressure. I mean, I just posted last week my frustration on Facebook um, that, you know, the government of British Columbia has now forced me into a nicotine withdrawal uh, because it's, you know, it's 20, it's, it's well more than half. And, you know, people look at me and go, well, why are you using that much nicotine? And I'm like, bugger off. <laughs> it's my business, not yours, right? That's, you know, nobody ever asked me about why I was smoking so much that, you know, nobody at a store or somebody else in the community or anything like that. But nobody ever brings up how much pot somebody smokes. But anyhow, it seems to me that um, this great vaping reset uh, back to 2018 may not be all of that's, that's out there. As you start to pile on the other things that they're piling on. And then I read in the, um, and this isn't at you, you know, you're just the only one that has some insight into Health Canada that speaks with them. You know, you were just there a couple of days ago. So, I mean, I don't want any of my viewers to think I'm, I'm putting this on you like you, you or CVA is anything responsible for this. I'm just looking, you know, to have a discussion and to get some kind of a feedback. But in here, the cost, of va the cost to vaping industry in terms of profit loss, I'm going to read everybody a paragraph here. Okay, so in the baseline, it is projected that the compound annual growth rate of sales of vaping products is 15% from 2021 to 2024, based on historical data. It is further assumed that the overall growth rate of sales of vaping products is 0% during the 2025 to 2050 period. So the 0% growth rate assumptions from 2025 to 2050 is based on recent sales projections of the vaping market in Canada. So Health Canada, you know, outright says, and I love it when Health Canada provides these numbers, the vaping industry in 2019 in Canada is a $1.36 billion business. They're anticipating that within four years, five years, four and a half, five years, that kind of thing, the growth of the market in Canada will be at zero. That is planned obsolescence, isn't it? I would suggest with Health Canada's ambitious goal of getting smoking rates down below 5% by 2035, and this is the most successful NRT product of all time, that those two theories or plans don't mesh at all. NRT, 10% or less, vaping, 18% success rate and higher. So if you're not planning growth in the most successful NRT platform that you have, I would say that your uh, strategy needs adjustment. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to look at numbers and that's 0% growth, by they want to you know push the vaping industry to 0% growth by 2025, unless all the smokers uh, quit, in all those old successful ways that worked so great <laughs> for all those years. So unless they can find some new way to get people to quit, 
it's to get if you're going to have zero percent growth in vaping, then it's likely means more people are going to continue to die. But that you got to understand their modeling would also include inflation. So the assumption has to be declining rate, assuming two percent of inflation every year. Right. So, okay, uh, you know, this has not been a great year for most, obviously. And if you're in the vaping industry, it's been challenging. There's no doubt. Um, what kind of picture do you see for 2021? I, I see alignment. I think the industry, again, has to come together. Um, consumer engagement has to be something that the entrepreneurs and the advocates have to get together and, and to continue to drive. Um, you know, most of the conversations that we had with consumers when uh, in Nova Scotia, when the flavor ban came through was, what do you mean you can't sell me these products anymore? Right, it was in the news, it was, it was widely reported. Um, I think that's the great challenge and the great opportunity. Um, Health Canada needs to hear from consumers. I think they look at advocacy and the um, uh, the business side of it is having a vested interest. I think what we've missed here um, and that we got to drive more of is the voice of the consumer, the voice of the smoker. Because in, you can uh, see that they referenced the postcard campaigns Yes. Um, where they've got the data. They've done that consistently, right? It's, that's not even new information. Like they, they really have. Um, we, need to do, we need to do more of that and that we have to agree on the fact that we have a very negative public reputation because of a lot of misinformation and it's politically convenient and we need to make it politically inconvenient by pushing back by the fact that, uh, and like you said from the report, um, that smokers' lives don't matter. 25% of smokers' lives don't matter. Right? We, that's what we have to, that's what we have to address and we have to do it early and we have to do it often. That's our best chance. What I do find interesting um, is if you and I were talking six months ago and said that a consultation was going to come out and you had to pick between flavors and nicotine concentrations, which one would you pick first? And I'm sure that every single person out there that's watching has got an answer. So I don't want to step on that, but I would imagine it would be nicotine over flavor. <laughs> see, see Everyone is pushing uh, from the media, from health advocate, or, you know, like heart and stroke and, and cancer is flavor bands, flavor bands, flavor bands. It would be so easy and politically convenient to just say, yeah. I think this is a systematic review. Like if I want to give anyone, you know, a positive feeling going into the holiday period, is that it would have been so easy hmm. to start with flavors. Well, into a I think that there's a 
Well, Daryl, to a large degree, there to a large degree, you've said it on our show, Sean Casey, um, early in the year or late last year, said the same thing that clearly it's other like move on nicotine. The industry needs to get ahead of the game on nicotine because if it isn't nicotine, it's going to be flavor. So it's been a there's been a strategy here, has there not? Well, there has, and we worked hard along with others uh, to get the strategy right in Ontario. Right, which was if we're going to restrict, let's restrict to an adult-only environment. So, like you said, Brent, so you can make the choice that you want to for your harm reduction, for your relative risk. Right? There's um, there's constitutional, a ton of constitutional elements around those options. Right. I think that the indication here is this. Kids get addicted to nicotine, non-users get addicted to nicotine, and smokers get addicted to nicotine. Not blueberry. Right. (laughs) So what is the issue with kids vaping, with non-smokers vaping? is really comes down to that flavors aren't addictive i think that's the messaging on the time because it would have been uh they would have uh, you know you get applauded every time nova scotia great regulations because they ban flavors not considering the fact that there's sixty thousand vapors and like i think the second highest smoking rate in uh in the country they got applauded for that Right, this is the opportunity in front of us. But if we don't continue to communicate, if we don't continue to rally around um, these concepts, they're not going to hear from enough of us. And our federal government just said, "Hey, twenty-five percent risk factor. That's accepted." Right. So, mindful of our time here, I know that uh, we have a hard out uh, here in just a couple of minutes. So. Yeah. Um, I've got two questions. One is, um, you know, obviously I want to, I want to know what people can do. So, you know, we have a consultation here. There's going to be, there's a 75 day feedback window. So that ends on March 4th. And normally, and you mentioned the postcards and, you know, you know, advocates, Maria and so forth have done a great job, you know, getting the tens of thousands of postcards in. Is it the same thing again that should be done or should there be some, you know, what should the messaging be if you're an individual vapor out there and, you, and you're you wanting to send something into the government? I know we're going to be launching a campaign available at uh, the vape stores right after the holiday period. Government, just like the rest of us, shut down over Christmas. I think it's going to be important to talk about the access points uh, for vapors. I'm an adult. If it's age-restricted, I can go into a store, right? Uh, I, think that's the, I think that's the key message. And we're going to give everyone a very strong tool where they're going to be able to just use their cell phone, find their MP, and it's going to go right from their cell phone to their member of parliament, and they'll be able to deliver that message. Excellent. 
Okay, so here in the last question is not a softball, um, and it's one that I've started asking you know guests um, that have come on the show, and it's a simple question: Do you think public health is being honest with Canadians about the relative risks of vaping? They haven't spoke to Canadians about relative risk at all. Well, I think. That's that says it all. Yeah, it does say it's it all. A conversation, and in all the consultations that we've had, any public consultation, where has there been one conversation about harm reduction? That would be my answer. Well, let's uh, all stick a uh, harm reduction Christmas tree, you know, under Health Canada's or present under Health Canada's tree. Absolutely. Huh. Well, the, so, the answer uh, the answer is is that vaping's already there. <laughs> There's no new present. It's just they just have to unwrap it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, and I understand uh, very much uh, the frustration. It's really when it comes down to the relative risk statements, um, it would clean up so much in our country. It would have made such a difference in the uh, case that we had in Quebec. Um, I think it's an important topic, but I think we still lead with our best foot forward when it comes to Health Canada is to make sure that they have all the information and in a way that they can accept it um, and, and socialize it and get it to the to the minister. Um, you can't give up. We'll never give up. But I also recognize it's a it's a heck of a fight. And we'll keep fighting it every day. And there's so many out there that continue to fight it every day. It shouldn't be this hard, Brent. I get that. But it is. So let's get on with the business of fighting for it. I totally agree. Well, Daryl, thanks a lot for you know coming on the show this year and really explaining a lot of stuff for our viewers. And have a happy holiday. And I will guess I'll see you in 2021. <laughs> 